Amen. Our Ephesians chapter 6, I want to preach a little while, and I always wanted to preach a little while, but I've got a long while. I know when uh, Brother Roger substituted on Wednesday night, I think Brother Randy told me he had an hour, and he just lit up, amen? And I, you know, he said, an hour? Said, yeah, an hour. But I don't have an hour. I got 45 minutes, and I want to let you out just in time to uh, have the children out pray for the youth meeting, pray for the um, uh, children. A lot of young people get saved back there, and if you knew some of the homes they came from, you'd be praying for them. I hope you read in my Facebook post about John Dillinger, who went to Sunday school as a little boy, and all the uh, high and uppity parents that would uh, drown if it rained because their nose was in the air, did not want this bad boy to come to vacation, I mean, uh, Sunday school. And so he quit. And he became a mass murderer. And he was shot down at the age of 22. All because a Sunday school teacher had a club and not a ministry. We welcome everybody. We want everybody to come, no matter what, where they're from, what side of the track, because they need Jesus. And uh, somebody uh, should have reached John Dillinger. And folks, that's how we reach them. But uh, Ephesians chapter 6, uh, let's stand on the Word of God. I'm going to read verses 10 through 18, doing key chapters of the Word of God. I was going to start John 17, but I'll do that next Wednesday. And Sunday night, I'm going to be preaching on uh, how to pray for the straying. How to put the last two verses of James, we're going to finish finally the book of James. Lord willing, the creek don't rise. And they wanted me to stay Sunday night for this uh, family thing, and I told them, I said, no, i got to get back and uh, preach at my church. But Brother Jason will be preaching Sunday morning, and I'll be preaching Sunday night on how to pray for the straying and how to pray for the backslidden. And there's a lot of danger in being in the prodigal pig pen. But uh, we need to pray that we'd realize the warfare. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I'll underline that word wiles in just a minute. For we wrestle not against uh, flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day Having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having your bre the blessed breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, um, uh, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of, the, word of, the, of God, and here's the text, praying always, Praying always uh, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. And then here it is for all saints. You may be seated. Father, thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege of being a missionary church. I pray by faith that we'd increase our outreach. I pray, God, for each, each family that we support. And Lord, I know it's a warfare in the United States all that's going on, all the terrorism, all the evil, all the opiate and all the meth. I met a lot of meth addicts last night, poor teenagers that just hooked and, and addicted and so, so down and so depressed. And Lord, I pray to your God that you'd help us to realize this is all Satan's plan and ploy to divide homes and marriages and, 
and God to make havoc of this church. And Lord, we rebuke Satan and we put a hedge around uh, this church by prayer. And Lord, we just pray, dear God, that you'd help us to realize there is a warfare, an invisible warfare, but a warfare, a spiritual warfare that we need to pray every day about. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I believe that we need to be militant about our prayer life in that we realize that we have the opportunity to defeat Satan by putting on the whole armor of God, by applicating, by, uh, by um, applying these principles, but also by actu- actually praying that God would put us behind the cross in the full armor of God and realize there is a battle. There's a battle. The devil's trying to fire every fiery dart he can at you. Uh, he uses discouragement, number two. And number one, he uses pride. And if he can get you to uh, not pray, he's got you right where he wants you. And if he can get you to take Satan for granted, and, uh, you know, this, this season disturbs me because a lot of people think that Satan's just dressed up in a costume and has a pitchfork and read out but if you if you really realize the dark side of Halloween and I won't go into it much but uh, Halloween's a religious day it's not a Christian day it's a religious day Tom Sanguinet former high priest of the Celtic tradition of Wicca witchcraft said the modern holiday we call Halloween has its origin in full moon closest to November uh, one the witches New Year It was a time when the spirits or demons were supposed to be at their peak power, revisiting the earth planet. He went on to say Halloween is purely and absolutely evil, and there is nothing we ever have or will do that would make it acceptable to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a former high priest of the the devil, uh, testifying of what it was and what he was a part of. Uh, What the man's talking about is you might be asking yourself, uh, it just seems like a little innocent holidays. It's one of the most expensive holidays. Uh, there's billions and billions of dollars spent. There's stores opening just for costumes. And people just, you know, I went in the other day to, uh, to look for something at Kmart. Nobody walks in Kmart. And the whole section of the costumes, there were people just, just, just rushing to get their costume. Uh, the, other, the other day, uh, I had a couple of young people in my backseat of my car, children. And one says, well, uh, we're not celebrating it. The other one says, well, all I want to do is dress up like a dog. I'm not dressing up like a witch. And they were debating it, you know. And I thought it was cute, but it was, it was good that, uh, you know, they were holding to their convictions. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but I want to tell you this, friend, that uh, uh, long before Christ, at least 2,000 years, Druids in Britain, Ireland, Scotland, France, Germany, and other Celtic countries observed the end of summer by making sacrifices to Samhain. And the Celtics considered November 1st as being the day of death because it, the leaves were falling and it's getting darker sooner and temperatures were dropping. And they believed in Mukhala, the sun god, was losing strength and Samhain, the lord of death, was overpowering him. And further, they believed that on October 31st, Samhain uh, assembled the spirits of all who had died during the previous years. And these spirits had been confined to the inhabit animals' bodies for the past year as punishment for evil deeds They were allowed to return to their former homes to visit the living on the eve of October 31st of the Feast of Samhain. Druid priests led the people in diabolical worship ceremonies in which horses, cats, black sheep, 
oxen, human beings, and other offerings were rounded up, stuffed into wicker cages, and burned to death. This was done to please Sanhedrin, the to keep spirits from harming them. And it's clear to see that Halloween has always been a celebration of death. That's all I'll cover tonight. I'll cover a little bit more next, next Wednesday because I want to get into this message. But I want to tell you something, friend. There's a lot of scary movies on. and There's a lot of things that happen around this time of the season that ought to uh, make you very uncomfortable. And uh, it's not just a little innocent trick-or-treat. Uh, I can give you the origin of trick-or-treat. Um, uh, but the priest of Wicca, Tom Samen, said that uh, it, it was participating in something that was not Christian and should not be uh, observed. And, and uh, the skins and the heads and, and the costumes, and, the, and it's a work of darkness. Ephesians chapter 5, if you'll look back at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, the Bible says, "...have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness." but rather reprove them. That's what the Bible says. You ought to reprove the unfruitful uh, works of darkness. Um, there are several scriptures that we'll go to later that about uh, it's, it's a sin to go to, uh, to uh, people that tell the future, uh, like Sister Anna over there or, or uh, whoever they are that uh, tell the future. It recognizes uh, folks as that... Uh, there's no one that can tell the future except the Lord Jesus Christ. Demons can impersonate people from the dead. There's no calling people back from the dead. Uh, there's a lot of Ouija boards and occult stuff that's associated with this black, dark side of Halloween. And so the Bible says we ought to reprove them. So I just did. There's no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. When we get saved, we need to realize that it's serious stuff when it comes to fighting the devil, that he's not just a uh, figment of somebody's imagination. He's not just a joke. Uh, he's a real angel of light. Uh, he's behind all the demons. He's in charge of them. And there's principalities and powers that are working in every jurisdiction of, of our country and, and, our, and our state and, and then our, and our world. And folks, we need to realize that. Um, you know, can, can, can one talk with the dead? No. Do the dead come back? No. Are they really ghosts? What about witches? Is this all a harmless fun? Is there life after death? And there is. But I want to tell you something, friend. Nobody uh, should uh, play around with the eternal damnation of a soul and the wickedness of Satan. Shouldn't play around with it. Um, this night spirits come from the underworld and roam the earth, they say. It's the most dangerous day of the year for children. It's the most dangerous year. People come out of the closet on this, on this day. I can't see where it'd be safe. I can't see where it'd be sacred. I can't see where it'd glorify God. So there is a dark side. And I want you to know, folks, it's all a ploy to help us or help uh, try to get us to take for granted the, uh, the warfare we're in. Now, I want to get into the scripture. I want you to see about warfare praying. And I know that's a serious subject. Satan's weapons are, 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 are powerful, but they're not more powerful than the light of his gospel. Warfare praying means you stand in the victory of Christ, Calvary. It enforces the victory of Calvary. It's the name of Jesus, the infallible Word of God, the blood of Calvary. 
Warfare pray means you confront the invading legions of hell. And it's a real warfare. It's not just drug addicts, and it's not just crime that's our problem. Folks, there's demonic things going on in this world. I believe that terrorism the, the, is hatched out of hell to kill innocent children and, and cut off people's heads for being Christians over in the Middle East. That's demonic. That's satanic. That's terrible. Uh, by faith, we raise the banner of the cross in warfare praying. It's worldwide in scope. We're to pray for our missionaries and pray for all our uh, soldiers of, 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 of the cross and back them up. When Brother Jeremy was telling that story about that fellow that put, his, put the gun to his chest. Uh, and uh, little, uh, little Braden uh, leaned over to me and said, I've heard this story before. And I said, I know you have, buddy. And he said, it's a good one. And then, so I listened, you know, because he wanted me to listen. But I want to tell you something, friend. That's real de de demonic neighborhoods over there that our missionaries are infiltrating and they're risking their lives and bringing their children in there to take the glorious light of the gospel. And I'm going to tell you what would be awful to do is to forget that and just put their name on a list and maybe call it up once in a while and say, God bless Jeremy. It's a warfare. We need to pray with warfare praying and folks realize that heaven is fighting for them if we'll get a hold of God. The skills of war are, 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 are fighting against Satan. And, and the key is belief. All this is about belief. A belief enough to fall on your knees and say, Dear God, I can't handle the devil. I believe you ought to reverence the devil in this sense. He's like a snake and you can't handle him. Amen? I respect, maybe the word reverence is too strong, I respect a rattlesnake enough not to pick it up and handle it. Now, if y'all was raised in one of those kind of churches, God bless America that you're over here, amen, and you're not still back there in that kind of church, amen, because that's dangerous stuff. I've, I've heard of people getting killed handling snakes, taking Mark 16, 15 through 17, totally out of context, and they're handling snakes as an act of faith. I'll tell you how you can express your faith. Fall on your knees and realize that the devil is real, demons are real, that there's a warfare going on, and when he said finally, he said, I'm emphasizing what's really important about this rich life, this, this life of being rich in Christ, Ephesians, the whole topic's about the rich, riches, the unsearchable riches of Christ and His grace. And he says you need to pray. You need to put on the whole armor. Look at verse 11. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, folks, the devil is, 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 very wise in his attack. He has wiles. Uh, and the belt of truth is essential for you to defeat the devil. Number one, the belt of truth is essential. What is the belt of truth? Well, it says, it says put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil is his methodology. That's what the word wiles means. It's his strategy. He has a strategy against you. His target is uh, for you to be impatient with the will of God, to miss the will of God, but your defense is the inspired, infallible Word of God. When Jesus was attacked by Satan, he said, it is written three times. When John talked about the last days about people loving uh, this world, he said there's a lust of the eyes, a lust of the, 
of the flesh and the pride of life. The same three tools were used on Eve in the Garden of Eden. The pride of life, you'll be your own God. The lust of the eyes and the, and the, and the, and the lust of the flesh. She wanted to eat because it looked good. And the devil promised her if she'd eat, she'd be her own God. She already had paradise and she had great fellowship with God, but she wasn't satisfied with that because the devil tempted her and lied to her and deceived her into thinking that God was holding out on her. Folks, God's not holding out on you. He's a generous, gracious God. But the devil wants you to think that you're missing something by not being sinful. And so we see the belt of truth. That means this. The truth of the matter is, we're in a war. Not, 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 not just soldiers, we're warriors. And that, folks, it's on now. It's an invisible warfare. And the truth of the matter is that there's victory that was won at Calvary. And the truth of the matter is, God is absolute truth. He's absolute power, powerful. He's absolute sovereign. And He is more powerful than the devil. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is He that is in me than He's in the world. And it says in that first phrase, my little children, greater is he that is in the world. It takes childlike faith. And I want to tell you something. We need to believe the truth. And the truth of the matter is, we're in a warfare. In the Bible days when they had a robe on, if they left that robe or that tunic flowing in the wind, the enemy could simply take the tunic, throw it over his head, and chop his head off. But if he was girded up with the belt of truth, with the sash of all the victories and all the medals of the past, he knew he was in a battle and he was not going to be deceived by being one that was not on guard. I believe absolutely that the average Christian today thinks this is what it's all about, going to church, trying to pay you a little religious duty, and they don't realize there's an invisible, terrible war going on between righteousness and unholiness, between light and dark. We ought to be very sober about that and very serious about the battle. The battle's on, but praise God, we ought to be very happy and, and joyful that the victory's been won. So if you're living in sin, it's your fault. It's not the devil's fault and it's not God's fault. Don't say you can't overcome your sin. Say you won't overcome your sin because God said he's able and he'll give you an escape with the temptation. Amen? And then I want you to see, second of all, the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 14, the Bible goes on and says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness, this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against, uh, withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. We're in the evil day. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what is that? That's the heart protector. I believe Paul was actually chained to a soldier when he was writing this house arrest, and he used that as illustration as he looked at that armor, and he saw that soldier was girded up, and he saw that soldier was ready for battle and ready for duty, but then he saw that breastplate of righteousness. And folks, there's no prayer power unless there's full appropriation of Christ's righteousness. The, righteous, the, the fervent and righteous prayer availeth much, the Bible says, James 5, uh, 17. And folks, there, there has to be salvation for you to pray. And there has to be salvation for you to be victorious. And in the battle, the breastplate of righteousness is the badge of courage. 
You have a pure heart, pure motive, pure desires. Pride can't destroy you in the midst of the battle. But I want to tell you something, folks. If you are with carnal anger and pride and jealousy and you engage in the warfare, the devil will accuse you. He's accuser of the brethren. So when you go to battle, you got some hidden sin in your life or some unrighteousness in your heart, then you have no courage and you have no protection because your heart's not clean, your heart's not right. That's all the reason to have a pure heart before God and have a pure, clear conscience before God and stop playing games in this Christianity and go to battle with a pure heart. And so there's a breastplate of righteousness. That means you're righteous, imputed, but also, as the Puritan said, you're righteous as you impart righteousness. You're right with God. And then I see some army boots. Look at verse 15. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In the Bible days, is hand-to-hand combat. And uh, they had these sandals with nails sticking down, not up, they weren't that tough, down into the ground. And if they lost their foot and they were dead, they, were, they lost their footing, they were dead men. They stood strong. And folks, it's amazing that Paul looked at those cleats or looked at those army boots with those hobnails in them and he said, he said listen, it, it reminds me of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. In Paul's day, soldiers were strong leather boots with so sick, uh, thickly studded with nails, according to Josias, the Bible historian. And for a firm grip in the fighting uh, and protection, they would have to dig in And folks, the gospel gives us a footing. The gospel of peace gives us a standing. We're not standing in our own righteousness. We're standing in His grace. And folks, when we're fighting, we're able to say, if the death, burial, and resurrection saved me, praise God, the death, burial, and resurrection can sustain me. Thank God for that. Where's our faith, by the way? If you you believe that He saved you by grace, plus nothing, minus nothing, don't you think His grace can sustain you in the battles? And when the devil shoots those darts, and I'll talk about that in just a minute, in verse 16, there's another piece of armor, the shield of faith. I just want to list these and get to how you put it on. Look at verse 16, or appropriate it. Above all, look at that, above all, taking the shield of faith. Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Folks, above all, the Bible says we need to have faith. We have saving faith. We have strengthening faith. We have sustaining faith. Praise God, we have serving faith. We serve by faith. It's all by faith. Um, you ought to thank God for a church that tries to stretch your faith or, or challenges your faith and says, Can you give more to missions? Not to this church. Not to this preacher, but missions. It's faith, promise, giving. But it's not just faith, promise, giving. He wants faith, promise, living. And the way that you ought to live for Christ the most is in the battles. When the devil's trying to defeat you. When he's shooting the darts at you. And he shoots at your head. The Bible days, the the shield was five feet tall. It had several layers. It was uh, pitched in and out. It had leather. and Sometimes it was... It was uh, soaked in water. And when those darts, those fiery darts would come, those arrows from the enemy, they'd hide their whole body behind the shield. It wasn't just this little old hand shield. There was a, such a type of that, but it was a, a shield they would put in the ground, 
and literally put their whole being behind that shield. You know what the, 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 uh, the appropriation of that is? Is that, folks, we can claim the promises of God, claim the protection of God, and hide in Jesus, hide in Christ, be protected. Faith quenches the flaming arrows of Satan, the false accusations of our fellow soldiers even. God will, will help us. The dart of doubt. If he can get you to doubt, you won't witness. I want to tell you something. How can you tell somebody about Jesus if you're not sure you're saved? How in the world could I went to YDC last night and say, hey, listen, boys, you ought to get saved. I don't know if it worked for me or not. I'm not sure I'm in or not, but you can get in. They would laugh me out of the place. It was about sub-zero weather in there, and we was all shaking while I was sharing the gospel with them. But praise God, they're not going to hell because they got saved. And I know that uh, one of them particularly seemed like he was really broken and under conviction. Time will tell. Repentance will tell. But, you know, I've, I've had people tell me that they've had the dart of atheism shot at them. They thought, well, God's not real. God's not even a real being, a real person, a real God. And I know you would never raise your hand that you had that dart shot at you. But I remember in college when I was at Georgia State University, uh, the final exam was uh, explained the, the, the uh, theory of evolution. And I was taking a, a geology course because I was a, a, a business major. You had to have a lab science, and I couldn't stay in biology. So I went and studied rocks for a whole, whole quarter. Now, what's that got to do with business administration and personnel management and hospital administration, which I was trying to major in? I don't know. I guess you set rocks on your desk and discuss them when people come in. I don't know. I didn't like the course anyway. And so I just said on my exam, I said, I'm going to tell you what the theory of evolution is. God created everything. The Bible says it, and that settled it. Wrote it down there, marched up, put my paper on the desk. He read it before I got out the door. And he screamed at me, the professor, and says, Mr. Cofield, they always call you Mr. in college, Come back here right now. He marched me back up to the front of the class. I'll never forget it. I was so embarrassed. And he says, you erase this and erase it right now. You think I'm a blankety-blank atheist? I said, sir, I don't know what you are, but I'm going to tell you what I am. I'm a Christian, saved by the grace of God, created by Him and sustained by Him, and I'm not erasing it. And he said, if you don't erase it, I'm going to fail you. I said, you can fail me. You can do whatever you want to. I ain't erasing it. I was just on one of my spiritual days on that day. And I said, I'm not erasing it. I'm not going to race it. And I want to tell you something. For the rest of the, uh, this was the midterm, the rest of the quarter, semester or whatever it was, he tried his best to fail me. And I prayed and said, God, would you please show him how much you can defend your Christian? And I prayed, and on the final exam, I made the highest grade in the whole class by the grace of God and brought it up to a C-. minus. Amen. <laughs> so praise God. Amen. God blessed on the final exam. But I want to tell you something, friend. The devil will use people in this world to shoot darts at you. Discouragement, doubt, division. Those darts are fiery. Those darts are deep. How many's been discouraged even today? Don't raise your hand. I can tell by looking at your face. But I'm telling you, the darts are real. The devil is a real accuser of the brethren. He causes a sin, then he comes around and accuses us that we're a sinner and says you're disqualified. And in the warfare, you want to drop your sword. You want to drop the shield. 
and you want to go AWOL and you want to turn code and you want to live like the world and live like the devil and live like the flesh. But don't. The shield of faith is adequate because the one you have faith in is adequate. He's more than adequate. He's altogether sufficient. His grace is to defeat Satan. Next to last, I see the helmet of salvation. The Bible says in verse 17, I'm going to prove to you that this helmet of salvation is eternal security. It's eternal salvation. If you don't have eternal life, you're not saved. And if you are saved, you have eternal life. I agree with Dr. Sexton. He preached here, and I think he mentioned this. He said, you ought to use biblical terms when you're talking about the Lord. Eternal security is a good term, but eternal life is a biblical term. He gives us eternal life. And that means once you're saved, you're always saved. That is part of the, of the battle. Look at the helmet of salvation. It says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let me say this. The Lord is our assurance. His death, burial, and resurrection is our assurance. His resurrection is our receipt. It's a present tent part of salvation. He, he gives us victory over the dominion of sin. We're saved past tense from the penalty of sin. We're saved present tense from the power of sin. And one day we're going to be saved future tense from the presence of sin. Saved, saved, saved. But I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. And I'll prove to you that this helmet of salvation is believing you're saved and saved forever. Uh, the Armenians don't have this assurance. Uh, the Church of God does not have this assurance. Uh, they think you can lose it, and you've got to maintain works to keep it. Cults, I was driving by praying for this place up here with that big white statue in the front yard. Hadn't figured it out yet, but I need somebody to go with me. We need to go knock on that door, and we need to tell them about Jesus. Big old statue up there. They, they don't believe in eternal salvation. They believe in work salvation. They don't even believe in salvation. But look at 1 Thessalonians. I want you to look at this now. All the books of the T's are together and they're alphabetical. That'll help you. I want you to look at uh, chapter 5. And I want you to look at verse 8. It says, let us who are of the day be sober. I mean serious. It says, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet. Listen now. And, uh, and for the helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, biblically speaking, when you see hope, it's not a hope so, it's a hope you know so. It's like a hope chest. And the Bible says that we can have the hope of salvation. And here it explains it. For God has not appointed us. Once you're saved, you're not appointed to wrath. You will not lose your salvation and go to hell. But to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. It says you obtain salvation not by works, but by the Lord Jesus Christ. So, First Thessalonians, <clears throat> Paul's saying, and he's explaining in Ephesians chapter 5, the helmet of salvation is the hope of salvation. It's the no-so of salvation. It's that you're saved, saved, saved. And folks, if you don't know that, the devil will pick you apart. Because in the battle, if there's not a finish line, you're going to give up. And you can keep willing the sword, and you can keep fighting, and you can keep praying if you know that one day you'll be in heaven and the battle will be over. But if you're in the battle and you're not sure you're saved, 
and you're in the battle, and you think you might have lost your salvation, the devil's got you right where he wants you. Your head is uncovered. You are ball-headed, bare-headed, I mean vulnerable for a deathly blow right across the brain because the devil will whisper to you, you're not even saved now, boy. You're not even saved now, lady. You're not even saved. How can you fight for me? How can you stand for me? How can you rebuke the devil when you're not even a child of God? Folks, assurance of salvation is important. Assurance of eternal salvation is very important. And then last but not least, the only offensive weapon there is, verse 17, it says, and the sword of the Spirit. It didn't say the sword of the Lord. It said the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. It's a militant word. It's used for believers in warfare praying. Folks, it's saying, Thus saith the Lord, in Jesus' name is a militant term. Thy will be done. Get behind me, Satan, is a militant term. By the blood of the Lamb. But folks, what's a militant term really is scriptural language. Praying back the Bible. Claiming His promises. I mean, folks, taking new ground and taking the ground the devil's stolen by claiming his word and his promises. It's piercing, it's slashing, it's a sword that thrusts deep into the enemy's heart. When you quote the word of God as Jesus did in Matthew 4, the devil has no place but to run. Amen? And folks, we need to memorize the word of God. We need to actualize the word of God. But most indeed, we need to believe the word of God. It's the sword of of the Spirit. Now, folks, there's two great things about the Spirit and the, the Word. It always works together. And if it's not scriptural, it's not spiritual. Amen? There's a lot of things, and I know I hit the oily Bible Sunday night, but I'll hit it again. And some people were being invited to that <clears throat> and uh, challenged about that, and I didn't have a clue about that. And when God put that on my heart. But we don't look for signs, signals, and images. That's idolatry. We look for God, and we don't look for, a, for some oil to come out of the Bible. We get faith by the Spirit of God using the Word of God. So it's a holy Bible, not an oily Bible. God help us. Folks, people are looking for signs. A wicked and perverse generation seeketh after a sign. Adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. You need to seek after the Savior. And folks, you need to realize that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. The Word of God. Stop looking for signals and signs and read your Bible. Stop looking for, listen to voices and read your Bible. Let, that's His voice. And folks, if you want to get mystical and weird and, and sensual and, and, and go up and down in your Christian life, just start looking for signs, signals, and fleeces and all the apostolic signs of healings and all this stuff that the apostles did. No, what you need to look to is the Word of God, believe the Word of God, live the Word of God, claim the Word of God, and use the Word of God against the devil. Every time you get discouraged, you ought to quote a verse. Every time you get tempted, you ought to pull out a verse instead of a, a habit. Praise God. You ought to pull out a, 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 a verse and quote it. There's power in the Word. The devil wants to sift you. And folks, the Bible says that Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith fell not. So the sifting is your faith. He wants to sift you into fillings. He wants to shift you, sift you into finagling and 
figuring and focusing on the world and what everybody else is doing and some guy that's in the back of a pickup truck that's got a special Bible that's bleeding oil. He wants you to believe that junk. Folks, I want to tell you something. If it was of God, it'd be in the Bible and it'd tell us right there. We don't need extra sensational, extra biblical, uh, extra church, ecumenical signs. What we need is God's Word. We need to claim it. Don't get me off on that again. But I want to tell you this, friend. The weapon is powerful because the sword uses the Word to penetrate, to divide asunder the faults. Hebrews 4.12 says it's sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder. That's not a picture of a sword. It's a picture of a surgeon's scaffold that divides. It goes beneath the surface. Takes off the mass, trick-or-treaters. Takes off the mast. Takes off the charade. It takes off the, you know, people do some wild things when they're in a costume. When they don't, when, they, when the, nobody knows who they are. But I want to tell you something, God knows your heart. And there's no hiding from God. But folks, I want to tell you what's so beautiful is when the Word of God is preached, there's conviction that reaches to the soul. If you want to play church, you want to live a double life, and you want to go out here and be rebellious and be this and that and other, Folks, I'm going to tell you something. You're not applying the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit against the, the devil. And then let me just say this in closing. My time's up. We see how to accept and adopt a warrior spirit. God's expecting you to be militant because we're in Satan's territory. He's the prince and power of this air, the Bible says. And we're not, uh, we're not uh, ignorant of his devices, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says. We know his strategy. His strategy is subtle. He's a liar. He's the father of all lies. And with those lies, he wants to deceive. But the truth, the belt of truth is put on, we're not deceived. You know how the devil works? He deceives you into thinking you'll get away with your sin. He deceives you in thinking that you will not pay for your sin. He deceives you in thinking that that sin's not so bad because everybody else is doing it. And when you look at the Word of God, sin is exceedingly sinful. And holiness is exceedingly attractive. And it's very, very powerful. I close with this thought. Prayer puts you on the aggressive side. Prayer burns a holy fire and desire that exposes the falsehoods of Satan and frees all the Satan's captives. Prayer is, puts you aflame where there's no darkness. And prayer honors God. And prayer brings Jesus' name into the equation. And prayer hates sin and hates Satan, but loves the Savior. And folks, I want to tell you something. There's many that's enslaved and abused by Satan and his followers. Folks, we need to realize that the only way to set them free is through intercessory prayer. Last verse I'll read. We need to stand against the devil by kneeling on our knees in the battlefield, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Always. Always. If you do not pray on Monday, that's when the devil will destroy you. If you do not pray in the midnight hour, that's the time the devil will come and tempt you. 
If you don't pray while you're working in that mill or that plant or that store or that place, that's the very time the devil will send his imps and Satan will deceive you and you'll lose your testimony and wall in the pig pen of sin with everybody else and shame the name of Christ. And walk out of there that morning thinking, I failed God and I'm not even a Christian. Folks, we need to pray always with all prayer and supplication and then in the Spirit. Romans 8, 26 says that's not a prayer tongue. That's leading your mind to pray for what you ought to pray for. And it goes on down to verse 28 of Romans chapter 8 and says that God knows the will of God for your life and even trouble He'll use together to make you more like Christ. I want to tell you what the devil majors on. Bitterness. Anger. Guilt. He majors on it. He uses it to just put people on the sidelines and, and, and bow them over in, in guilt and shame. But folks, we are to be more than conquerors through Christ that strengthens us, and it's, we pray in the Spirit. We don't pray when our spirit wants to. We pray led by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit. It's spiritual praying is knowing that the Spirit knows God better than you know the Spirit of uh, God. He knows the will of God. And he knows why he's allowing you to go through all this junk. Because he's going to work it together for the good of them. Read Romans 8, 26 through 29. And he makes you more like Jesus through the problems and trials. And then it says this, and watching thereunto with all perseverance. You can take the word all prayer, and then you take the word all perseverance and supplication. The hardest thing you'll ever do is pray. I won't tell you why. Because the devil knows the weakest Christian on his knees, he can't handle. The Christian that gets right with God and puts on the breastplate of righteousness, he can no longer attack your heart, your mind. The fellow that puts on the helmet of salvation and, and spiritual appropriation of prayer, he can't give you no more doubts. He can't barrage you with you're not saved and, and with that sin you can't be saved. And, and, and folks, he protects your mind which is the devil's playground. But then it says, for all saints. I want to close with this thought. We need each other. And you've been through some tough times. A lot of you have been through some tough times. But aren't you glad you had somebody to pray with and pray for? Aren't you glad you had a local church? You won't find that fellowship in the jail. You won't find that in some club. You won't find that in some organization. You'll not find that on the job. You'll not find that in your best bestie, your best friend, whatever that is. You'll find it in the fellowship of prayer. And the Bible says, make my church a house of prayer. And folks, if we could do anything for one another, we ought to pray one for another. We're in a warfare. And we need air support. Amen? I'm named after John Wayne. I don't know why my mom and daddy did that to me, but they did it. I would rather have been called Joshua, Moses. That'd be a little unusual. To be a black preacher, praise God. Or uh, Joseph, somebody. Wagon means, wagon, uh, Wayne means uh, wagon maker. 
uh, and it means burden bearer, so I think that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good thing to try to live up to, to be a burden bearer as a pastor. I, like, I appreciate having the privilege of bearing others' burdens. But I, I used to watch those movies, John Wayne movies. They'd have those little old helmets on, little like pots upside down, and they were, it was weird. And uh, John Wayne was always a hero, and he never got shot. He was the hero, and I guess that's why my mother named me after John Wayne. But I remember one time John Wayne was in trouble, and he was in a, he was in a uh, foxhole, and they had these little walkie-talkies. They wind those things, had a line all the way back to headquarters and said, hey, listen, we need air support. We need a certain longitude and latitude. I never understood that much in geog- geography. I tried to. We need exactly that spot. And for somehow, some way in those old black and white movies, they'd have some bombs going off and things rocking and rolling and dust flying. And, man, the enemy was wiped out. And I want to say this. In this warfare, you need some air support. You need a church, and you need a husband, you need a wife, you need a child, you need an uncle, you need an aunt, you need a brother or sister in Christ that when they know you're down so much you can't even pray, you're in the foxhole and you're just about to be defeated and the devil's got you surrounded by all the imps of hell, you need somebody that'll pray for you. And that's spiritual prayer. And folks, a spiritual church is where we don't, talk about each other. We don't slap each other. We don't shoot our wounded. We pray for them. Because it's only by the grace of God that you're not in the ditch with them. Say amen. And it's easy to criticize. It's easy to talk. It's easy to accuse. That's what the devil does. But I'll tell you what really takes spiritual warfare praying is you get on your knees and say, hey, God, it's only by the grace of God I ain't there. And Lord, please. Send some help. Send some courage. Send some strength. Send them some love. Send them some grace. Lord, send them some peace as they're getting beat up. And God answers your prayer. And the war on that day is won because of warfare prayer. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for this chapter. It's been a blessing to me over the years. It's been a strength and encouragement. And Lord, I pray when the darts of doubt and the darts of pride, and that's when we don't want to pray and we don't pray, the shot at our hearts and our heads and our being. God, may we hide behind the shield of faith. And dear God, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And dear Lord, have the helmet of salvation that shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and gird us up with truth. But God, when we can't pray, may we have a brother or sister, a wife, a husband, even a child, a son, a daughter, that'll pray for us. God, may we pray for those that are so easily swayed, so easily deceived, God, may you give them wisdom to see the end of sin and run when they're tempted. God, help us to pray in the Spirit with all perseverance, never quit, but for all saints.
praise you.